These things are true, church, not because we've convinced ourselves against our better judgment that they're true. And we just over and over keep reaffirming these things to us over and over and over again until we somehow maybe convince ourselves that they're true. But listen, church, they are true because the Word of God says they're true, and that's all we need to know. The Word of God says, if if I've placed my faith and trust in Christ, the Word of God says my old man is dead. I don't need to convince myself that he's dead. The Word of God says he's dead. The Word of God says he's buried. I don't need to convince myself that he's buried. The Word of God says he's buried. The Word of God says that I have been raised by the resurrection power of God. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that is in me, in the person of the Holy Spirit of God, that gives me the ability to rise up and walk in newness of life. The Word of God says that my relationship to sin is different. I don't need to convince myself that those things are true. The Bible says those things are true. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Romans chapter number 6. It seems a lot of time kind of a contradictory statement. Uh, it seems uh, that it's a contradictory statement to say that um, the old self, our old man, is dead. Seems like a contradictory statement because in our daily lives we have such a struggle with the battle. Uh, we have such a struggle, we have such a battle with something that is supposedly dead that it seems like a contra- contradictory statement at times. It makes no sense to say that something is dead and has no power over me, but yet at the same time, there's a real struggle. And so many times, I don't know about you, but I know in my life, so many times that struggle that brings about the temptation many times ends in defeat. Let's read our text tonight, Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse number 8. And you can just keep your seat this evening. Uh, now, Paul says, now, if, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died once, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we thank you tonight for your word, and we ask you tonight that you would teach us your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, John Wesley's mother, Susanna, gave him this advice in his personal struggle 
with sin. She said, whatever weakens your reason impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off the relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may in and of itself be. In other words, whatever takes your mind on your, off of God and puts it on yourself, no matter how innocent and small it may be, this mother counseled her son, that thing is sin. John Newton, the composer of the wonderful song Amazing Grace, who himself lived a life of debauchery, we talked about him a few Wednesday nights ago, said this, he said, quote, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. Yet I can certainly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and to Satan. And I can heartily join the apostle and acknowledge by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul is continuing in this text to really build up his argument of why true believers, the relationship that true believers have with sin is not the same that it was before they professed faith in Christ. And as we began, we look back at verse 3 where he begins to argue the point that the believers have an identification with Christ in his death. Then as he proceeds to go on from there, he discusses that the believers have identification not only in the death of Christ, but also in the resurrection of Christ. And then based on that identification, Paul says that the believer in verses 6 and 7 are free from sin. And we said to you last time that when Paul says that we are free from sin, it does not mean that we are free to the point where we have reached some precipice or some pinnacle in our Christian life of absolute holiness where we no longer sin because that would be church a direct contradiction to what John said in his epistle in 1 John 1.18 John says in 1 John 1.18 that if we say we have no sins we're what? we're liars and the, and the truth is not in us and that would also violate or contradict the teaching of Jesus Christ in the model prayer where Jesus Christ instructs his people to pray this way, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are sins against us. Or in another gospel says, forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgressed against us. And it would be no need in praying that type of prayer if we have reached a point in our spiritual life, our Christian life, where we no longer sin. And so that's not what Paul is talking about in verse 6 and 7 when he talks about the fact that we're free from sin. What he is talking about, church, and what we need to always keep in mind is while we are not free from the ability to sin, you and I are free from the power of sin in our life. The point is, church, that the old self, just like Christ died, that we found that identification in verse 3, we died. Our old man died as well. And the true believer is raised, Paul said, in newness of life. And that's the point of verse 4. 
And so then when we come to verse 7, and Paul says you are free from the power of sin. And Paul's argument, church, is this, is that a true believer cannot love sin. A true believer absolutely cannot love sin. He cannot love it to the degree that he once engaged because just like Christ died, the old man also died. And we saw last time that just as Christ was raised by the power of the Father, so too we are raised by resurrection power in Jesus Christ. And we closed last week by telling you this, that the same power that, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that exists in all of us that gives us the ability to walk in newness of life. And so therefore, church, it is absolutely impossible for a true believer to have the same relationship to sin that they had before they professed faith in Christ. No matter what they may claim, no matter what they may claim, I don't care about the prayer, I don't care about the baptismal pool, I don't care about the church membership role. If their relationship to sin has not changed, then there is no justification. There is no salvation. That's Paul's clear argument in verses 1 through 7. Because we have been, the old man has been crucified with Christ. The old man has been buried with Christ. And you and I, at our salvation, have been raised from that spiritual death, Ephesians 2.1. We have been raised from that spiritual death by the same power that raised Christ from the dead that gives us the ability to walk in newness of life. Gives you and I the ability to walk as God commands us to walk. But let's look at verse 8 tonight as we look at the believer's death to sin. The believer's death to sin. And Paul reiterates the same truth as begins here that he spoke about in verses 3 and 5. Notice what he says in verse 8. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now I want you to pay close attention to this verse. I want you to look first of all at the word if. Now, we said to you last time because we've engaged in it before in this passage, and we hear, again, Paul likes this, this grammatical construction. The word if there in Greek is a first-class condition, which basically says this. Paul is arguing facts with the assumption that these facts are true. Okay? And so it could be translated as sense. And so Paul could, you could translate verse 8 and say, now since we are dead with Christ. Now here's the wonderful truth, church, that Paul is teaching in this passage. That since we died with Christ, look what he says in verse 8. We believe that we shall what? Also what, church? Live with him. Now the word believe is a pistuo and it literally means to, to consider something to be true. Paul says that since we have died with Christ, speaking about our old man, right? Since our old man has died with Christ, we consider this to be true that we will also live with him. Now, get this. Now, hang on to this. We have the assurance that heaven is our home, don't we? For those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ, We've placed our faith and trust in Christ. There's been repentance of sin in our life. And listen, church, the Bible does not teach a one-time repentance, does it? 
The Christian life is a lifetime of repentance. Okay? We've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's repentance in our life. Heaven is our home. We can be as assured of heaven as our home as if we are already there, right? Amen? Y'all okay tonight? All right? I ain't lost anybody yet, have I? Said, <laughs> so, Pastor, you lost me to turn your Bibles too. I'm tired. All right, hang with me. But we know from Scripture that heaven is our home. Now, at the onset reading of that, you could, you could probably initially say, well, we consider this to be true, that we're also going to live with him, because he says in verse 8, we believe that we shall also live with him. Well, he's talking about heaven. And you would be absolutely wrong. Wrong. Because that's not the context here. The context here in this passage is speaking about holy living. And so therefore the context strongly suggests that what is in mind here is righteous living in this present life. And being that the word live is future indicative, it is a word of certainty. The indicative mood in the Greek is a mood of certainty. The certainty, church, of the Christian life is that they will live a righteous life. What does Paul say? Let's put that together in verse 8. Paul says, since we have, since we have died with Christ. Okay? First class condition. Since we have died with Christ, we consider this to be true that as a result of that death, we are going to live righteously in this present life. That's what verse 8 is teaching. And this is the repeated message, church, of Scripture. This is the repeated message of Paul. In Romans chapter 8, for example, verse 29, Paul says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Why? What is conformity to the image of Christ? Sanctification. Your purpose, God's purpose in your election and your calling is not heaven. Okay? God's purpose in your election and his calling of you is to conform you into the image of Christ. That's the purpose. If heaven was the purpose, then what would he do when we got saved? Well, he'd take us to heaven if that was the only goal. But that's not the goal. Paul says the goal of his election of you, the goal of his calling of you, is to conform you into the image of Christ. Christ is raised... Christ is alive now, and therefore Christ's power is alive in us now. And if someone identifies with the, in the justification of the cross, then the natural result of that church is to identify in a life of righteousness now. A life of righteousness now. And one of the things that I hope you've gotten thus far in this study is that it is absolutely impossible for someone to claim that they are in Christ as a new Christian, as a Christian, and not desire and live a righteous life. I didn't say perfect. God doesn't demand perfection, does he? Yes, he does. Doesn't he? But our perfection is in Jesus Christ. Okay? Because not only in order to stand before the Father must we, have, must we be seen of the Father having have kept his law, but in order to stand before the Father, we also have to have right our, we also have to be righteous. 
That's what we call in theological terms the active and passive obedience of Christ. He actively obeyed the law and he passively imputed to us his righteousness. So when we stand before God, we stand before God having, all, having kept the law because of Christ and we stand before God having righteousness because of Christ. And it is absolutely, church, contrary to anything taught in Scripture to say I'm a Christian, but I don't have imputed righteousness that's going to show itself in a righteous life. Look down at verse 9. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death, have, death hath no more dominion over him. Christ will never die again, will he? And we are in him. How many times, folks, does the old man have to die? According to verse 9. If we are truly in the identification with Christ in his death, how many times does the old man die? The old man dies once. The old man dies once. And sin is the disease that brought about death, right? Because we have sin, therefore we have death. As death has no more dominion over him, uh, sin and death have no more dominion over us. Now, obviously, we're not talking about physical death. Because the Bible is clear in Hebrews 9, isn't it, that it is appointed to man, what, church? Wants to die. We were created to die from the moment of our conception we're dying it's kind of a morbid thought isn't it from the moment of my conception I'm dying it's really morbid thought when my wife and I were going down the road the other day and I started talking about life insurance we were going down the road Christmas Eve and I started talking about life insurance So we're going to die, right? I'm not going to tell you what she said. We're going to die. But church, listen, spiritually speaking, the spiritual death has no dominion over us. Why? Because the old man is dead. If we are truly in Christ. And since it is sin that brings death, and death has no dominion over us. Guess what else doesn't have dominion over us? Sin. Sin. John Owen uh, describes the life of the believer as, quote, uh, with him we enter into the holy place. With him, Christ, we as his people enter into the holy place. John Calvin stated this, and just as the twig draws substance and nourishment from the root to which it is grafted, so those who receive baptism with right faith truly feel the effective working of Christ's death in the what? And mortification means what, church? Putting to death the flesh. So Paul's clear, church. For those of us who are in Christ... Death has no dominion over us. Our old man is dead. Now look at verse 10. 
For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Church, let me ask you, in which way did Jesus Christ die unto sin? Christ, having never known sin, being perfectly sinless in his incarnation, Christ was never mastered by sin or he never committed any sin in the least way. How did Christ die to sin? First, I want you to understand what the text says. Look at verse 10 again. For in that he died, he died unto sin, what? Once. The word once there means to take place to the exclusion of any further occurrence. And it could be literally translated this way, that Christ died once for all time. And that full meaning really is reiterated to us in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 10, where Paul said, where the writer of Hebrews says, he, he, Guess who I think wrote Hebrews? But where Paul says, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And that's not speaking once for all as in everybody, but once for all time. But in what way did Jesus Christ die to sin? This is great. First of all, church, understand this, that he died by taking the penalty of sin on himself. He took the penalty of sin on himself. He met the legal demands for all those who would ever put their faith and trust in him. And for those who by faith trust Christ, they have forensically died. Now by forensic, we mean that it is a legal declaration and not a literal death. Obviously, we, you and I did not die physically at Calvary with Christ. But those who place their faith and trust in him are considered from a legal standpoint, in other words, God's demands, to have died. So Christ took on himself our death. That's, how, that's what Paul means when he speaks about it in our text that he died unto sin. But not only did he die to take away the, power, the, the penalty of sin, but he also died to take away the power of sin. Because in the death of Christ... The power of sin, church, has been broken to those who place their faith in him. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? In order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It was probably with that in mind that the Reformed theologian and hymn writer Augustus Toplady who wrote the phrase in the beloved hymn, Rock of Ages, said this, Be of sin the double cure, saved from wrath, that's the penalty of sin, and make me pure, that's the power of sin. And right there in rock, the whole hymn that you've sung a thousand times, Rock of Ages, you have the active and passive obedience of Jesus Christ. That's why we love the old hymns here, because the new hymns don't say anything, a lot of them, except the ones we sing. The new hymns we sing are good ones. Huh? You, but you were about to get up tight, weren't you? He was about to turn in his resignation. He broke the penalty of sin. He died to take away the penalty of sin. 
He died to take away the power of sin. And listen, church, can you and I honestly sit back and say that because in the fact that Jesus Christ did all of that, that someone can pray a prayer, walk out and live the exact same way they've always lived and truly and honestly before God and before his words say they're saved? That, that completely destroys the entire reason for which Christ died. Jesus Christ did not pay, the, pay for the penalty and for the power of sin for a person to go out here and live like the devil all the time anyway. He died to change lives. Look at verse 10 again where Paul says this, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. What does that mean? Jesus said it best, I think, in his high priestly prayer. And John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer that you see in Matthew 6 is often called the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. It's the model prayer. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said in John 17, verse 4, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So what does it mean when it says in verse 10, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Jesus said it, I live to do what? Glorify the Father. And if Jesus lived to glorify the Father, then what is going to be the practice of those who have died with Christ, been buried with Christ, and been raised in newness of life in Christ? What's going to be their practice? The same as Christ, glorifying the Father, see? And just as Jesus Christ was raised to live unto God, you and I are raised to live unto God. Look at verse 11 again. Likewise, stop right there. Likewise what? Going to what he says, likewise reckon ye yourselves. This was a, he, Paul must have been, had a little southern in him. I reckon. Actually, the, Paul didn't say reckon. The uh, translators of the King James in Westminster Abbey uh, must have been a little, they must have been from southern uh, uh, Alabama. <clears throat> reckon. They weren't from South Bend, were they, Kim? They don't say reckon out in South Bend, I can tell you that. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. But what? Alive unto who? Yourself? God. Nobody can say, church, that they are truly alive unto God and maintain the same relationship to sin that they had before they professed Christ. Because for those of us who are truly born again, who are truly justified by faith, we are alive unto God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. William Hendrickson stated that, the, that, that this theology is the, quote, the takeoff point for all their thinking, planning, rejoicing, speaking, and doing. We must constantly, church, bear in mind that we are no longer what we used to be. Okay? And Paul indicates in these passages that while these truths are theological, We've got to understand, church, that they're also mental. 
They're theological and they're also mental. That's why Paul says, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead in Dead indeed unto sin. The word reckon, logitomai, means to consider, to look at, to evaluate. Paul says, consider or think of yourself. That's mental. Right? Somebody asked my wife one time, does your husband suffer from mental problems? She says, no, I think he enjoys it. <laughs> and this is Mental. Listen, church, this isn't yoga. This isn't getting in touch with your inner, inner person to defeat sin. Well, let me, get in a, let me get my body in a ball and get in touch with my inner self and play the little flowery music in the back and put the bells on the tip of my fingers and try to defeat sin inside me. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what Paul is saying at all. What he is saying is that this is really brought out? This is really brought out in chapter seven when Paul speaks about his own personal uh, fight battle with the sin nature. But listen, church, as we look honestly at our life after salvation, it is it is, seems more than obvious that the contamination of sin is very much with us. You don't have to be awake very long in the morning to find out that the contamination of sin is still with you. Right? As soon as my alarm goes off, I know I'm contaminated. And as soon as I look in the mirror, yep, he's contaminated. but I'm glad I clean up well. At least that's what my wife says. But listen, church, no matter how radical our outward transformation may have been at salvation, no matter how much it, would have, it is for the better, it's very, as, as we look inside of ourselves, it's very difficult for us to imagine that our fallen nature is dead and that our new nature is actually divine. Because I know me, and I know the pride of my own heart, and I know the ugliness of who I really am. And it's very hard for me to look inside post-salvation, post-conversion. It's very hard for me to look inside of me and really be able to tell and, and say with a lot of confidence, yeah, you're divine, because that's very difficult. It's difficult for us to imagine that the Holy Spirit actually indwells us and that God calls us his children and says we're fit for heaven. We understand the contamination of who we are and so those things are somewhat difficult for us to accept. But what does Paul say in verse 11? You must consider this about yourself. You must evaluate yourselves this way. Even though you find that mindset hard, you must consider yourself this way. You must consider yourself what? Dead unto sin. And alive unto God. It's a, it's a mind. Remember I gave you an illustration a couple weeks ago about, the, about a runner. Because Paul uses athletics all throughout his epistles because Paul, uh, Paul was a sports fan. And, and the, the, the thought that I gave you a couple weeks ago that said, listen, Whenever somebody would take off at the Athens games, they would always wonder who would win. And what was the answer? The one who had the better what? 
The one who had the better mindset was the one that's going to win. And listen, church, if you and I live our life as if we can't do anything but sin, guess what you'll do? You'll have, you'll have a struggle with sin. Many people find this mindset difficult. They find this mindset hard because they have been taught all their Christian life that even though they've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and, all, and although they, have been, they are regarded as holy, their basic relationship to sin has not changed. Although they have been given a new nature, they're told this. In fact, church, I'll, I'll, I'll confess to you just a little bit, and I've shunned to do this live, but here we go. Can't back up now. Don't stop me now. As a young person growing up in church, I was taught this. I was taught this from the, from the lecterns of, of a good Baptist church that my old nature was still alive. And so in me was not transformation, was, but was just what? Addition. And so many people struggle with sin because they've been taught that even though they're, they're, they're thought of, they're declared righteous, I mean, they didn't deny the doctrine of justification. They believe that you were declared righteous, but that your basic relationship to sin has not changed because even though you've been given a new nature, your old man is still fully operative, and therefore they say that's why within your persons at all times there's a war going on between the good man and the bad man. Well, and that's the only way that they can describe why Christians are Christians but still sin. But church, listen to me. Clearly, God, the Word of God, does not teach addition. Paul said in Romans 12 that we are what? Transformed. Metamorpho, where we get our English word, metamorphosis. We are completely changed. Don't tell me that you've gone through a metamorpho, you've gone through a metamorphosis, but your relationship to sin is now is what it was before you professed Christ. Listen, there is not addition in your Christian life. There is transformation. There's another reason why Christians find this wonderful truth to believe is because Satan doesn't want them to believe it. If the enemy of our souls... If the accuser of the brethren can make us think that he still dominates our life, if that's our mindset, that mindset will weaken our resolve to live righteously and make it appear absolutely hopeless. But you know that I think the most common reason why people struggle with with this reason would people struggle believing that their old man is really dead and they and they've been free from the power of sin they've been raised in resurrection power is because the continual fight with sin that they have seems to contradict that who who in here has a continual fight with sin And so that continual fight with sin seems to contradict the fact that we've been free from its power. But we must understand we haven't been free from its presence. We've been free from its penalty. We've been free from its power. 
one day we'll be freed from its presence. That's what Paul, that's what Paul meant when he said, now is your salvation nearer than when you first believed. What does he mean by that? You are closer to heaven, therefore you are ultimately closer to your ultimate salvation, and that is being delivered from the very presence of sin in heaven. But we're, right now, we're still in the presence of sin. I mean, if we, have a, if we have a holy disposition and sin control has truly been broken, if that is true, then why are we so strongly tempted? And why do we so, why do we so often succumb to it? Here's Paul's best answer to that, verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves. Church, you know what the answer is? You know what the answer is to, if I, even though I still struggle with sin, even though I still struggle with the passions of sin and I still struggle with succumbing to the passions and the temptations of sin, but yet at the same time the Bible says that the power and the penalty of sin, that I've been free from it, my old man is dead. He says that back in verse 6 and 7. My old man is dead. He died with Christ. He's been buried, and I've been raised in, in, in with the resurrection power of God and to walk in newness of life. How can both of those things be true, and why should I consider myself dead to sin? Why? Because the Bible says it's that way. That's the answer. These things are true, church, not because we've convinced ourselves against our better judgment that they're true. And we just over and over keep reaffirming these things to us over and over and over again until we somehow maybe convince ourselves that they're true. But listen, church, they are true because the Word of God says they're true, and that's all we need to know. The Word of God says, if, I, if I've placed my faith and trust in Christ... The Word of God says I'm, my old man is dead. I don't need to convince myself that he's dead. The Word of God says he's dead. The Word of God says he's buried. I don't need to convince myself that he's buried. The Word of God says he's buried. The Word of God says that I have been raised by the resurrection power of God. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that is in me, in the person of the Holy Spirit of God, that gives me the ability to rise up and walk in newness of life. The Word of God says that my relationship to sin is different. I don't need to convince myself that those things are true. The Bible says those things are true. That's why Paul says you need to consider yourself to be, to be this way because the Word of God says it's true of you. That's all, the, that's all the convincing church that we need is that the Word of God says it's true. These are truths of faith and they must be affirmed by faith, right? I mean, it's just a matter of do you believe the Word of God or, or not? I know that you struggle with sin. I do too. Because we haven't been freed from its presence. We've been freed from its penalty. We've been freed from its power. But you haven't been freed from its presence. But even though you haven't been freed from its presence, hear me clearly, even though you haven't been freed from its presence, and even though there may be in your life a constant battle with the flesh, child of God has this attitude. I hate my sin. I hate it. I don't want it. 
And you don't hate it because of the way it makes you feel. And you don't hate it because of the consequences. You hate it because you have violated the law of God by doing it. Church, that's the difference between somebody that just professes to be a Christian and truly is a Christian. A person that's just prayed a prayer, joined a church, been baptized, or a person that's truly been born again by the sovereign grace of God. Because a person that's truly been born again says, I hate my sin. Not because it's me that hates my sin, but it's that the Holy Spirit that lives within inside of me has given me resurrection power to live righteously. And in that resurrection power to live righteously, it causes me to hate my old self that's dead. So even though you struggle, you hate it. And we see that in Paul in chapter 7. We will see that in Paul in chapter 7. That even though he struggled, he hated it. David C. Needham wrote this. And I like this. What could be more frustrating than being a Christian who thinks himself primarily a self-centered sinner, yet whose purpose in life is to produce God-centered holiness. I can't think of anything more frustrating. Jana, that's more frustration than me, frustrating than me running out of hairspray. I can't think of anything more frustrating than to be a Christian, and I know myself to be a self-centered sinner, but yet I believe I have to produce God-centered holiness. Until a person, until a believer accepts the fact that Christ has broken the power of sin in their life, they will never live victoriously. Because why? The inner person thinks, well, it's just impossible. It's just impossible. It's impossible for me to live above where I am now. Oh, yeah? I don't, listen church, one thing that I don't want to ever be accused of and I don't want you to ever be accused of is putting limitations on the grace of God. Putting limitations on the power of God to change a person. Years ago in the middle of Latin, the Latin American revolution an American citizen was captured and was sentenced to death Right as he was facing the firing squad, a, a, a soldier ran up before him in front of the firing squad and, squad and draped a large American flag entirely over the victim. If you shoot this man, you will fire through an American flag and you will incur the wrath of a whole nation, he said. And at that moment, the revolutionary in charge released the prisoner instantly. Bad illustration, but help you to understand the point that you and I are draped in the righteousness of Christ. And that righteousness protects us from sin's deadly attacks. But listen, church, let me go a step further in that illustration. Not only are you and I draped in the righteousness of Christ, meaning that we have been declared righteous by God, but we have within inside of us righteousness because we not only have been declared righteous, there's a dual point of the doctrine of justification that we have not only been declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, we have been imputed the righteousness of Christ in us. Now, it is not my righteousness, and I am not actually righteous. God not only says, declares me righteous, 
but he says that I'm truly righteous because of Christ. Because sin's power, church, has been broken. That's why Paul says, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. You get the point tonight that you're dead? Your old man is dead? You don't have to sin. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.